0: Well, good morning again. Last December, we were reintroduced to a word that isn't a word we use a whole lot, but it's a word that you find in the Bible more than a thousand times if you're reading one of the more literal translations. That word is behold. Behold. Again, it shows up a lot in the Bible, even though we don't use it very often. Well, this morning, I want to reintroduce you to another word. And this isn't a word that shows up in any of my go-to translations of the Bible. But uh, it's a, a word that describes something I am feeling at a soul level. The word is antsy. Antsy. It is a word I haven't used or even heard in years. It is a word that feels actually silly to really even say but it is a word that describes what I am feeling right now. I'm feeling antsy, I'm feeling restless, I'm feeling agitated, I'm feeling impatient. And Sam is doing the recording here and he's nodding. So many of us are feeling this. Why are we feeling this? We're feeling this way because virtual church is a distant second. I'm getting antsy, we're getting antsy. So many of us to begin meeting in person. Well, last week, We said this, we said, let's not get too comfortable on the couch. Let's begin to explore ways that we can undistance and do it in ways that are safe and are responsible and are God honoring. And it is important to do it like that, to do it well. Can I get an amen to that? It's important because many of you may have heard things like this. You may have read that article about the church in Washington state where just one symptomatic person infected 50 52 of 61 people who gathered for just one choir practice. We're in a series called Our New Normal, and we currently live in a world where it is dangerous to sing together. Unbelievable. One of the reasons now that that specific choir was at such high risk is the median age of that specific choir was 69 years old. Well, as an intergenerational church... We're not going to leave anyone behind. And we're not going to be exposing people to unnecessary risk. So for the record, for the record, online church has an important place. When we have no other options, when someone's health would be at risk, for those who are just exploring Christianity or just want to explore our church, for those who miss a week, online church fills that important void. So, we are going to do our absolute best to continue to make this experience that we're sharing here together real and helpful and as engaging as we possibly can. And as we do that, we're also going to devote ourselves to figuring out how do we undistance over the summer in safe, responsible and God-honoring ways. Because while this has its place, an important place, virtual church, at its best, is second to the real. Now, from there, I want to pivot to here. Virtual faith is easily shaken. Virtual faith is easily shaken. The name of the series isn't just our new normal. The name of this series is our new kingdom normal. The scriptures invite us to pursue Real, authentic faith. A faith that is not shaken by circumstance. Earlier this week, I was on a Zoom call from a pastor in a large church in in Mankato. And we were both reflecting on how open people were, especially early on in this crisis, to having real faith conversations. Their foundations had been shaken. And people were open to have a real substantive conversation on where they could maybe find some hope. Well, one of the areas where people have felt shaken the most through all this has been money. And if we're going to have an honest conversation about real authentic faith, we have to have a real conversation about money. And we purposely, as a church, we purposely waited to have that conversation until now. Early on, when there was so much confusion and there was so much fear and there was so much unknown by so many people, the last thing that I wanted to see was someone tunes in looking for hope and what it feels like is more of a fundraiser, at least to them to, as an outsider. So what we did is we purposely waited to have this important conversation after the initial shock wore off a bit so that we could have a real conversation. And and at a time when people were more reflective and where we could ask questions like this. Are you placing your faith in something that a virus can strip you of? A virus can bring an economy to its knees. And while we're there, this just might be a good place to reflect on what it is we're putting our faith in. I came across a great quote as I was preparing this week. I dedicated the last N.T. Wright quote to Joyce Hardwick. I'm going to dedicate this one to you, Jade Brandt, because I think you're going to like it. Here we go. From N.T. Wright. Never before have so many people tripped over one another in their eagerness to get rich and thereby impaled themselves on the consequences of their own greed. Many people give lip service to the maximum that money can't buy you happiness, But most give life service to the hope that it just might, after all. All right, if you are taking notes this morning, I invite you to write this down. Financial security is an illusion. It's an illusion. If that tiny little virus and all those little tiny little virus buddies have unmasked anything, they've unmasked the illusion of financial security. So this morning... Let's open up our Bibles to a 1st century letter that we call today 1st Timothy. It was originally written to a young man uh, that the Apostle Paul was passing the torch to. Now, no one outside of Jesus himself did more to pass along real, authentic faith than Paul. And this letter is filled with practical, hard-won wisdom. The letter opens with instructions about how do you recognize false teachers and why we should call them out when we do. Next comes a reminder of who Jesus is and a call to prayer. Paul moves on from there to to, to begin to discuss what kind of qualities we should look for in leaders. Paul then tells Timothy to expect that there will be those, no matter what you do, that are going to walk away from the faith. And they're going to choose other paths instead. After that, Paul calls upon Timothy to train himself to be godly, because Timothy's going to need that. And all of that, all of that leads up to the final chapter, chapter 6, that opens like this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing, imagining that godliness is a means of financial gain. In that time and in that place, there were traveling preachers, who weren't committed to the people, but they wanted to profit from their preaching. Again, one of the reasons I'm hypersensitive to this and to to how we talk about money and when we talk about money is because I want to make sure that we distance ourselves from that. Paul says, If what those preachers say doesn't line up with the teaching of Jesus, they understand nothing, he says. It's a virtual faith. It is not the real thing. Jesus had a lot to say about money. One of the sources I looked at this week said that one-sixth of the Gospels, one-third of Jesus' parables, talked about the subject of stewardship. All right, let's open up. If you have your Bible with you, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start with verses 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, There is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now the next verse that we're gonna look at here, the next, very next verse that comes up. It is one of the most, most misquoted verses in all of the Bible. Verse 10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All right. Did this verse just say that money is the root of all evil, as it's often accused of saying? No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? It says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is amazing. It's amazing what a desire for money will tempt you to do. I was so proud, so proud of our team recently as they um, had to respond to a recent temptation in this area. Several weeks ago we began receiving emails about that big CARES Act. And what people started saying is, hey, that CARES Act, that will enable Emmanuel to get tens of thousands of dollars in a government loan that we won't have to pay back. Like, that sure sounds too good to be true. And and so we, we, we had um, our financial officer, Jordan, and our administrative lead, Kelsey, um, working alongside uh, Sandy from the Northwest Conference office. And they looked into this act on our behalf. Now, we as a church are really cautious on spending. We have low overhead. And we've been extremely diligent when it comes to building up cash reserves. And so when Jordan, Kelsey, and Sandy looked into this, they came back to, to me with the unanimous conclusion that the CARES Act dollars were intended for organizations that were in far worse shape than we are. And when they came back with that, saying, you know, it doesn't seem right for us to take this money. I'll be transparent with you. It was frustrating to be left out of thousands of dollars because we'd been responsible. And this is another thing that I was frustrated about. I know of organizations that are as healthy as we are. It chose to take the money anyway. But this is one of those examples where we had a choice to make. Were we going to let our desire for more money drive our decision-making? Or were we going to trust the one who calls us to do the right thing? Followers of Jesus, we should look different in the right ways. And that's exactly where Paul goes next. Verses 11 through 12. But as for you, man of God, He writes, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. All right, let's jump down to verse 17. This brings us almost to the close of this important letter. God isn't anti-money. It says right here, God richly provides us with everything to what? To enjoy. To enjoy. God isn't anti-money. God is anti-dumb. It is foolish to bank on something as uncertain as wealth. Pun intended. You're welcome, Emma, Dan, and Kurt. Focusing instead of that, focusing instead on being generous, ready to share. That is how we take hold of the life that is truly life. Covid has exposed so many lesser gods for what they truly are, and riches is one of them. In our remaining few minutes together, let us take a crash course in building a firmer foundation when it comes to money. Here we go. It starts right here. God is the giver of all good gifts. You'll find passages that speak to this all over the Bible. Here's an example from Deuteronomy 10:14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heaven, earth and all that is in it. One day, Jesus was sitting in the treasury, and he watched his people put money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large amounts, but there was this widow, this poor widow, and she put in two small copper coins. And what did Jesus do? He saw a teachable moment, and he called his disciples over to him, and he said, Hey, hey, that woman... She put in more than the others because they gave out of her, their abundance. If you take a notes, I encourage you to write this down. God first giving is a tangible sign of trust. When it comes to offerings, are you trusting God with your first and your best? Or does he get your leftovers? I mean, I'll, I'll just put it that blunt. I don't know of a more tangible expression of faith. And to that point, I cannot say enough to you, the ECC family. I know how uncertain these times are. And we have been humbled by your faithfulness. It reminds me of the early days of of our church. We launched this church in 2008. Well, in 2007, right before the 2008 recession. And each week, we'd receive those envelopes with people's tithes and offerings. And in those days, I knew almost everybody in the church pretty well. And I knew what a step of faith that was. This feels a lot like that. I want you to know that we don't take this lightly. And we're going to do our absolute best to steward this faithful trust that you're putting in God. We're going to steward this really, really, really well. And that brings us to our next point. God first giving allows us to do things together that we cannot do alone. Let me tell you something that brings me great joy right now. And as I've shared this with other people, it's brought them great joy too. Here it is. I am thrilled that we are not paying rent or a mortgage on any big empty buildings. We're a mobile church. We're not paying rent for any of the facilities that we're not using. Almost all of our tithes and our offerings right now are going into people who are caring for people. We're paying rent on a small office space, which we have a great rate on, and which the, uh, the landlord has said, I'm not going to be raising your rates for five years. We also have three off-site storage units. That's it. The rest goes into caring for people in our congregation and beyond. Just this uh, last week, I think it was, we were able to send support to our friends at Emmanuel Children's Home in Juarez, and they are doing a great job of looking out for some vulnerable people in a country that doesn't have the same safety nets that we do. Just this week, we sent support to the Community Support Center just down the road in New Brighton. They're doing a great job of helping people in New Brighton and Mounds View and Shoreview and Arden Hills get back on their feet. That's above and beyond the support that we're sending to Covenant Pines and World Relief and Covenant Missions and so much more. So far, get this, we have not had to cut back on any of our support to any of our partners. In fact, we're sending some support now that normally we send later in the year. As we pool our tithes, as we pool our offerings, and we partner with other congregations who are pooling their tithes and their offerings, together we can do things that none of us could do on our own. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time together, but I want to make sure that everyone hears this. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. God first giving is the bridge from sinking in a storm to singing in the rain. Jesus said, those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice are like a wise person who built their house on a rock. Those who don't are like those who build on sand. Imagine if when those storms come, you are among those who do not feel the ground sinking beneath your feet. One of the reasons I am so passionate about this is because I've experienced this myself. In high school, I stepped out in faith. I stepped away from the career that I thought I wanted, a career where I thought I'd make a whole lot of money, one that would bring me financial security, and I put my full weight on the bridge of offering God my future, and that bridge held. I realized that that decision, later on I realized, that that decision would mean that I had to change my college plans, and I walked away from what would have been a full scholarship, and I put my full weight on going to a college that I thought was going to better prepare me for what God was calling me to. And that bridge held. Coming out of college, my worst fears were realized. My starting salary for my first full-time church job was $8,750 for the year. But you know what? The bridge held. Many years later, Laura and I felt that our family was being called out of the megachurch world and we were supposed to start a church out of a suitcase, the bridge held. My friends, I can testify, I can testify that when we authentically, truly put our full weight on that bridge of trust, God proves himself faithful. When my father died during my sophomore year at that college that God opened the doors to, God took care of me. When I was making about $3.11 an hour at that church in New Ulm, God took care of me. When Laura Broker promised to never marry a pastor and we were raising a family on a youth director's salary, God took care of us. And when we stepped out in faith to launch a church just before a recession, God took care of us. As we bring this message to a close, let me show you something. This is so much I can't even tell you. I want to show you how Paul ends his letter to Timothy because I want to show you something that leapt off the page to me this week, something I never noticed before. Okay, after giving all those instructions, those six chapters of instructions to Timothy, Paul closes with this. He says, grace be with you. Those are the closing words of Paul's letter to Timothy. And in my study Bible, there was a footnote On that last word. What's the last word? You. There was a footnote after the word you. So I went, opened up my Bible, looked at the footnote. Here's what the footnote said. Footnote said this, the Greek for you is plural. That jumped off at me so much. Were God's promises, was God's grace extended just to Timothy? Nope. Were God's promises, God's grace, extended only to pastors and their families? Nope. The grace from God, this grace from God, is available to all who will place their trust in Him. Will you take the step of faith this week? to do that. I have one last question for you this morning. Here it is. Are you willing to offer God your first and your best each week? This year we promised that we're going to reintroduce a time of offering into our worship services. We don't have any plans to go back to passing the plate for a whole number of reasons, but here's what we do plan to do. Sunday is the first day of the week in the Bible. And most weeks going forward, we're going to take time during the first day of the week to pause and to consciously say, God, I thank you for the grace that you've extended to me, that you first extended to me. And right here, right now, I offer you my first and my best in return. When I was a kid, my church taught me this prayer. We're not going to use this every week, but we will use it enough so that we can memorize it as a church family over time. I am a huge fan of joining our voices in prayer together as a church family. And this prayer says so much with just a few words. Because this prayer is so new to so many of us, I'm gonna read it through once, and then the second time I'm gonna pray it, and I invite you to pray it aloud with me. And then we'll close our time together with a great song that speaks to that solid foundation that we have in Christ. Ready? Here's the prayer. I'll just read it this first time, and then please join me the second time through. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts. With them, we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us,